We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. What is your picture of courage? If someone was to come to mind that epitomized courage or bravery in your mind, what picture is kind of forming there? I'd say hold on to it for just a minute. It's an interesting question because I think... In general, our world um, has an idea of what makes someone courageous or brave. I should say this. I think our world um, eagerly desires that characteristic. And it's kind of interesting how it comes out, though, right? Um, I don't know if any of you are Marvel fans, superhero movies, right? Um, And maybe we've reached the tipping point where some of you are like, "Ah, another one, right? Another Marvel... Because we're kind of at that point, aren't we? Uh, In the last, I think they say 15 years, there's been no no less than about 74 superhero movies, Marvel movies, shows, all these kind of things, right? So um, I remember when I was a kid, I would would read comic books once in a while, but like that wasn't what you led with at school. Like that wasn't like the first thing you told people to like to gain friends. Like, hey, totally into comic books. So when I was a kid, like that was not... Like, you read them and stuff, but this was not something you led with, right? Um, So it's fascinating that now, right, this is is what makes the basis of almost all of our blockbuster movies, right? All the top-earning movies in general are superhero movies. And I think when we watch them, and I enjoy, I enjoy watching them, I think in the characters that we watch, we can find aspects of, of, of who we want to be, and in some sense, kind of aspirational characteristics, right, that we would like to be ourselves or even like to see in our, in our world. And so, um, billions of dollars has been made over superheroes, right? And what should they be? Courageous, right? In fact, on some level, that's probably at the heart of the definition of a hero, is that at the very least, they are going to be Courageous. They're going to be willing to do something uh, that other people aren't willing to do. Now, it helps when you have like superpowers and stuff, right? Right. But at the core of these, I think there is a, a bravery and a, and a courage that, that we want to see on the screen. But when I asked you your picture of someone that was courageous or brave, um, I am not sure that Robert Downey Jr., slash Tony Stark was who came to mind, right? Because the truth is, we, we understand that uh, uh, these are fictional characters that may have uh, echoes or fingerprints of what we hope to be and what we would like to see, and yet we also know that, that they're not real, right? These are caricatures. These are exaggerations of what we want to see. And so when I said, picture someone that is courageous or brave, I think probably other people came to mind. And appropriately so, right? Um, maybe it's a rodeo star, right? Jesse's saying, yep, yes, yes, right? Uh, one of the most dangerous professional sports is rodeo, right? Uh, my family lives up in Cody, and they have a, um, um, year-round rodeo. So every single night of the year, they have a rodeo in Cody, right? So you get to go and watch these guys do things that, that are remarkably uh, difficult athletic, and on some level, unsafe. So uh, the most uh, kind of alarming thing for me, like I remember in Grand Junction growing up, I would go to rodeos, 
And I don't remember that this was the case. Uh, Maybe they had them. I don't think they did. Um, But when I went, again, as an adult up in Cody, and I watched these guys ride, and you see what is strapped around their chest? It's like a flak jacket, right? Right? It's a protective uh, um, vest to keep from presumably dying. I think, right, from getting stepped on. Uh, as a kid, I don't, remember, I don't remember the rodeos, the cowboys ever wearing those. I don't know. Someone can correct me afterwards. But it gives you a sense of how dangerous maybe that sport is, okay? So maybe within athletics, you see a degree of courage. Say, I wish I could, I wish I could do that. But my guess is that we go maybe even a little bit deeper than that. School started this week. How many of you want to stand up in front of a classroom of kids? Some of you do. <laughs> yes, yeah. Multiple, we've got multiple teachers that do it, right? But it takes remarkable amounts of, of courage to stand and to teach little ones, right? There's an example of courage. Uh, maybe it's this. Maybe it's the trades, right? Uh, um, the, the courage that it takes to go out into uh, um, weather that is constantly changing, the courage that it takes to actually put your mind towards something and physicality and actually create something or fix something, right, and move our world forward. So maybe it's that. Maybe it's just being a parent, right, a mom or a dad, right? The courage that it takes to raise your children to not only know Christ, but to be good citizens, right? Maybe that's your picture of courage. Uh, Maybe it's serving in the military, right? Uh, Young men and women that put their lives on the line so that we can do what we are doing here today, which is worshiping our God in peace, right? Uh, Maybe it's first responder. We have some of those here as well, right? The courage that it takes to keep our world at peace, to to help those that are in need, right? To de-escalate things, to bring peace to a scene, right? Or maybe just the courage to be an entrepreneur or a business owner. And I don't know that we at first maybe think about that, but it takes incredible amounts of courage to create and to build, and to put yourself out there, and if you're successful, to help other families earn a living and put food on their table, right? So, I don't know what your picture of courage maybe was, but my guess is maybe I hit one or two of the aspects of it. And I think that's the thing about courage. We know it when we see it. We know it when we feel it on some level. And I think we know it when we've seen it in others. Today, we want to ask ourselves, what does God ask of us as believers? What does not just courage in general look like, but what does Christian courage look like? We get an answer for that because we get to watch, we get to see, we have an account of the early Christians who lived their lives in a remarkably courageous way. And so that's what we want to look at. We want to kind of pull that idea apart. What does it mean, what, what does it mean to look uh, courageous as a believer. Uh, I think we need a little bit of a definition, though, going in. Here are two that I think help us. Courage, being principled in the face of danger and opposition. Second one, doing something you choose to do, not something you have to do, right? And I think that's a pretty good definition of courage, isn't it? So it's not just being principled in the face of danger and opposition. And I think on some level, all of us will run into that. But the secondary one is choosing to do something when you don't have to, right? When you could just 
kind of disappear into the crowd, right? When no one is, is demanding it of you. I think that's another aspect of courage, where we choose to step up when others choose not to, okay? So, that's what we want to talk about, Christian courage. Uh, we're going to talk about at least three different area or aspects of this uh, from our text. Um, we want to see it. So what does courage actually look like? What's the source of our courage as believers? And then lastly, how do we, how do we show that? How does that take place in our lives as believers? So we want to see, know the source, and ultimately show it in our lives. So, uh, Our text... For today is taken from the book of Acts, and just a little bit of history, and kind of before we jump into that text, uh, um, um, in the book of Acts, you could say that probably chapters one through four, things were going pretty well for the early Christian church. And the book of Acts is that, right? It's a it's a history. It's a it's a, an account of the early Christian church. It's an account of the spread of the gospel from Jesus' death, his resurrection and ascension into the populated world around it, right? So so um, um, those those believers that were in Jerusalem, what did they do? How did they live? And where did they go? And what message did they take with them into the towns and countries that they went back to? So the book of Acts gives us that beautiful picture of the spread of the gospel in the early Christian church. And on some level, chapters 1 through 4, things were going pretty well, right? Uh, um, th- there are conversions. There is, there is growth, right? Uh, um, their message is being received at least on some level pretty well. And, and the message of Christ is going into all these different cities. So, uh, you might say, like, chapters 1 through 4, if somebody was kind of writing up a business plan for that, things were going okay, right? It was, they were growing. They were sharing their faith. But the point of our text here today, things start to change. And I would say it, it, it changes precipitously. And in fact, it, in some sense, stays changed for roughly the next 200 years. In our text today, This is the first time that these disciples, these followers of Jesus, that the threat of death is kind of hung out over them. Now, that doesn't mean that they hadn't suffered for the gospel up to this point. They'd been whipped, they'd been beaten, they'd been run out of town, they'd been shunned, all those kind of things. Um, But never in the book of Acts up to this point had someone said to them, these guys are so dangerous, (laughs) their message about Jesus is so powerful And it is changing people that we ought to put them to death. This is the first time that it happens. And so I think it's a fair question for us to ask, how might those disciples, those followers of Jesus, actually react to that? (laughs) A little bit of discomfort, getting run out of a town, uh, being shunned by family or relatives, okay. But when death is hanging over your head, how will you act? How will you react? That's what our text gives us a picture of here today. So let's see what that looks like. You're welcome to follow along with me if you would like. Uh, we're going to start by reading uh, just verses 29, 33, and uh, we're going to jump to 32 as well. Pick out a few of those there. So Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. And lastly, we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So, what do we see here? A few different aspects, right? 
The very first thing that we see from these disciples is that they, in their minds and in their lives and in their living, there is really kind of no in-between. They say, we must obey God rather than men. Now, what were they obeying? Well, up to this point, the Sanhedrin, what had they told the disciples to do? They said, stop. You cannot tell people about Jesus, right? And this was maybe a little bit larger threat than maybe what we have here in America where we have, right, we have the freedom of speech. Like we are able to do these things. Now we may suffer for it. We may have consequences for it. But we are able to tell and to share about Jesus. But when the Sanhedrin, who were also the religious leaders at that time, said to the disciples, you may not, you must not, you cannot teach about Jesus Christ, about his death and his resurrection. What was their reaction? We must obey God rather than men. Right? It was a clear dividing line. And in fact, on some level, I think the disciples would have said, how can we do anything other? Because our hearts are changed. The world is changed and things will never look the same again. How can we not share that news with the people whom we love work with, and the cities and countries that we go into. And so they say very directly to the Sanhedrin, to authorities, to those that were threatening them, remember, remember that that threat of death is now hanging above their head. Peter says, we must obey God rather than men. There's courage there, isn't there? Right? What would you give up to share Christ? I think it's a fair question, right? Um, what would you give up if that threat that the disciples had hanging over them was hanging over you? I think it's a fair question. Right? And I also think that there are degrees of it. What if I said to you, you can't share Jesus or you will suffer shame your family and friends will be embarrassed of you. Would you still obey God rather than men? I don't know, probably, right? Because I do embarrassing stuff all the time. Like, this isn't, right? This isn't that big deal. Okay, maybe I'll do that. Um, what, what if I said, well, it could cost you your job, and your livelihood, your career? So, uh, okay, that's getting a little bit, be- little bit harder, right? What if you have a family? What if you have responsibilities and people that depend on you? Are you willing to sacrifice that for the name of Christ? Say, okay, this is getting a little bit harder, right? But what if it goes all the way to the level that the disciples had? What if you would, or the threat of you losing your life was there? Would you obey God rather than men? It's a serious question to ask. And if you're anything like me, <clears throat> sometimes I think it makes me squirm just a little bit. In fact, in general, as we read of the disciples' actions, it makes me squirm just a little bit. Because I don't always know, right? How would I react if I was in that setting? How would you react if that was you? And I don't know that we always know, right? We'd like to say this is how we would act. This is how we would react. The truth is, sometimes courage is hard to find. Sometimes it's fleeting, right? In the disciples, though, 
we see this. A steadfastness in God, in his word, and in the truths of Jesus' death and resurrection. Now, the disciples were under the threat of death. And as I mentioned, chapters kind of one through four, things were going okay, right? Um, But chapter five, this changes. And as I mentioned, this doesn't stop for probably 200 years. So uh, within early Christianity, uh, there was nothing less than, they estimate about 10 systematic purges of those who called themselves followers of the way. Those who called, them, called themselves disciples of Jesus Christ, right? And if you look through uh, world history, you'll see that these, these purges of Christianity kind of would, would flare up and then maybe they'd die down for a little bit. But it was illegal to be a Christian uh, under threat of death. So it is a reality that Christians were, at times, sent into the Roman Colosseum to be devoured by lions, right? To be killed as the warm-up act for the gladiators. So for the next 200 years, during what most would argue is the greatest spread of Christianity that our world has ever seen, for the first 200 years, do you know what hung over the heads of those Christians? Death. Loss of jobs, loss of livelihood, all of those things. And yet, what did we see from them? They chose to obey God rather than men. They chose to share life of Christ with those and with a dying world around them. Right? It's an amazing amount of courage. Uh, a historian once said, the reason Christianity succeeded over dozens of other religions was because Christians died better than anybody. It's a little bit morbid of a quote, but I think you'd be hard-pressed to argue with it. Right? For 200 years, believers selflessly gave of themselves and at times gave their lives for the world around them. I don't think it is stretching it to make the argument that we wouldn't be here today. You wouldn't know Christ today unless believers were willing to obey God rather than men, sometimes to the point of death. Right? Historians will often say that, that uh, um, the, the, uh, the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the future church, right? And I think that's true. So if we want to see what courage looks like, Peter, the disciples, give us an example of it, where they obeyed God rather than men, consistently shared the good news of forgiveness and life in Christ. Okay. Does that seem kind of hard? You're like, ah, why'd pastor lead, why'd I lead with this one, right? So... It kind of is, isn't it? It's kind of heavy, isn't it? It's kind of difficult when we think about what believers before us have done, the situations that they have been put in. And I think we ask of ourselves, could I, would I, if I was in that situation, act in the same way? I think that's a heavy question to ask and a difficult one for us to hold upon our shoulders. It's difficult until we know the source for their courage, which is kind of where our next point moves into. Read for you 30 through 31. Peter says this, the God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on the cross. You notice that Peter didn't mince words, so he was not ironing out his words. And he said, no, this is what happened because we saw it and you all saw it and we all know it. So I'm just going to say it, right? 
The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So, the source of courage for those early Christians, it was nothing less than Christ, right? And Peter says, we are witnesses of these things. How can we not talk about these things? Because we saw them happen. We saw Jesus die. We saw him rise from death. We ate with him. We talked with him. And we saw him ascend to eternity. How can we not share that with the world in which we're going out? And so we ask of ourselves, could we be that courageous? Maybe the better question is not looking at our courage, but looking at the source of it, which is nothing short of Christ. Now, what's kind of interesting about our text today is that Peter chooses these two words you see right in the middle. Uh, it says, God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior. Now, Savior, you, un- you understand, right? That one, we-, we hear that all the time. So what was Christ? He was our Savior. Um, his death on the cross has washed us clean, which means that we have eternal life, right? So Savior, I think we get. What's fascinating is the second word there that Peter chooses to use, the word prince. It's actually from the Greek. It's called archegos. And, and um, um, Peter uses it twice in Acts, or it's used twice in Acts, and then it's only used two more times in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews. And it, and it uh, um, has kind of multiple translations, so different times it pops up, it, it kind of has different words, English words that are used to translate it. So our text here today uses the word prince, um, but it can also be translated leader, author, pioneer, or captain. So you understand the word that Peter chooses to use to describe Jesus um, has remarkable depth to it. And maybe not just for us, but actually for the Greek world that was there as well. Because you want to know who an Archegos was? You want to know who a prince or a pioneer um, um, or a captain was for the Roman world in which Peter was speaking? There's a picture of him. That's Hercules, right? So this comes from Greek mythology, right? Um, this, this was the word that Peter chose to use to describe Jesus. He uses a, a mythological Greek uh, um, character, right? Like Marvel characters in some sense. This was, a, this was considered a hero. He was an epitome of courage, right? And all of those things and power. And so Peter uses that to describe Jesus. Now it's fascinating, isn't it? Because what Peter is doing is he is connecting a word that they already know and a concept that they already admire. In a little bit of sense, it's, it's like uh, um, um, us admiring some of these traits in, in the Marvel characters that we see or in, in the movies that we see around us, right? So Peter is making this connection. And he's saying, you already know what a hero looks like. You know what courage looks like. And you know what um, someone is that will save you, right? A savior And he connects it by using that Greek word to Hercules. And so their minds would have immediately said, okay, we understand, we get what's going on here and what you're telling us, Peter. Peter was connecting them to something that was far larger than Hercules, than our superheroes, but most importantly to Jesus Christ. 
And what's the courage? What's the heroic thing we see that Christ did that is far different than Hercules or maybe any of our other fictional heroes? Our hero, your hero, Christ, in his courage, laid down his life for you. Right? That's our source. That's our example of courage. It is nothing short of Christ dying on the cross so that you would be washed clean, so your sins would be no more, so that you would have no fear of death or what comes next because you know that Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, walked through death and has washed you clean and has prepared a room for you in eternity. And so what was the almost supernatural, miraculous basis for the courage of the early Christians? It was Christ. It was Jesus, right? Our Prince and our Savior who gave His life on the cross for you and I and for the sins of the whole world. So now we've seen it. We know the source of it. It's nothing short of Christ Himself, right? But what does it actually look like, right? That's where Hebrews kind of moves us down the line a little bit. I mentioned that that word archegos used in Acts, is also used in the book of Hebrews. This is what the writer of the Hebrews says when he uses that very same word. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, same word, archegos, and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The writer to the Hebrews is using the very same word to give encouragement to believers who had suffered incredibly, who maybe at every turn were, 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 were tempted to lose courage, to give up, and simply cast Christ to the side. But what does he say? He says, run with perseverance. And why? Because Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, is with us. That's the same encouragement we have. Because it's not easy, is it? Living our lives as believers, right? Uh, um, It is not easy running a race with perseverance. Writer of the Hebrews gives us encouragement says, you're not alone. In fact, we are part of, of 2,000 years of Christian history that stretches back to nothing less than Jesus' death and his resurrection. And so we run with courage, right? And what's that look like in our lives? Well, it's interesting, right? Especially the culture and the world in which we live in today. What does Christian courage look like in 21st century America today? I think maybe a little bit different than what the disciples were under. I don't know this for a fact, but I would guess that none of you are fearing for your lives for being here on Sunday morning, right? So maybe the threat of death is not hanging over you, and yet we know how difficult it is to obey God rather than men, to live as believers in a world that so consistently lives in opposition to it, right? Uh, I saw a quote recently Um, Oh, before we get to that, um, this is Peter ultimately telling us where that source is. Uh, He says, therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, rather uh, um, Gamaliel, 
Uh, let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail, but if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. So kind of a practical political move from one of the Pharisees, saying if, if their message has no power, it'll naturally fizzle out. But if it does, you may be fighting against God himself. So did the message fizzle out? No. I would argue billions of Christians would argue no. <laughs> right? Because the message was nothing less than forgiveness of sins and eternity in Jesus Christ. Okay. That's the same message that we have today. Right? And I think it's a message of life and of hope and of answers to things that are far beyond just our everyday living. And I think it's a message that our world needs more than ever. Ann Patchett uh, said, made this quote about our, our current American culture. The fact is, staving off our own death is one of our favorite national pastimes. Whether it's exercise, checking our cholesterol, or having a mammogram, we are always hedging against morality, or mortality rather. Find out what the profile is and identify the ways in which you do not fit it. Right? Hedging against mortality. Have you ever heard the sobering statistic, one out of one dies? Yeah, right? But on some level, we've kind of made a national pastime of trying to avoid that topic, right? Um, in fact, on some level, even, even our wording, even our semantics have erased some of those difficult topics from, from our living. But here's the real beautiful thing that we have, the opportunity we have as believers, is that as we obey God rather than men, we have the opportunity to share a message that is all about life and is about eternity and actually answers the questions that we have, even the questions that we refuse to talk about. <laughs> Christianity answers those. It speaks to those. It pulls those apart. It brings them from the shadows out into the light. It erases fears because we're actually able to understand why we are here and where we are going and it's ultimately focused on Christ and his resurrection. And so, what does Christian courage look like in 21st century America? I think there's kind of three things. Three things that I think on some level allow us to, to let our light shine in the world around us. The first is that we're willing to stand on truth. That we're willing to obey God rather than men. That we actually have beliefs and a scripture and a text and a reality, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we are willing to stand on it and stand for it and follow it, right? And not just for others that are out there, but first and foremost for ourselves. That when we read scripture and we find areas and, and, and portions that are difficult, that we, we ask God to give us wisdom and to speak to us rather than us trying to speak over him and telling him what we want. We get to open the pages of Scripture and ask, what does He want for us? Not just in this life, but in the next. And so the first is we, we stand on truth, and we stand on Scripture, and we boldly share Christ's death and resurrection with the world around us, because Christ brings life. That's the first one. Second one is, I think we consistently live selfless lives as believers. You might say if the first one is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, the second one is love your neighbor as yourself. And so we consistently live lives that are selfless. 
We put the needs of our spouse above ourselves. We put the needs of our neighbor above ourselves. We put the needs of our, our co-workers above ourselves. We put the needs of our children above ourselves. That we consistently live lives that are selfless. That when people look at us as believers, they would say, we don't know a lot about their message, but we know one thing. We know that they are selfless. Right? That they are willing to give. Right? So, we stand on truth, willing to be selfless. And I think more than ever... Consistently, we're kind. What is kindness? It sounds like kind of a simple throw-off, cast-off word, right? Right? That we're kind. But the truth is, it's not a cast-off word. And I would argue, uh, we want and we love to see kindness more than ever. Simply treating people with respect, with dignity, right? Loving life, all life, no matter where it comes from. Um, Treating people as as individual souls, not by the basis of of, of their skin color, where they come from, how much money they have, where they live, any of those things. And we treat people with kindness. We may not have the threat of death hanging over our heads, but I guarantee you those three things, to live in that way in our world, takes incredible amounts of courage. To stand on the truth, right? um, um, to, to sh- consistently share Christ with our world, to be selfless and to be kind. But here's the good news. When we do that, you're in good company. 2,000 years of company. 2,000 years of believers who have had the courage to do the very same thing. Last certainly not least. Christ is your source of power to do that. And so as you go into your world, as you strive for a Christian courage, it's drawn from Christ, from his death, his resurrection, the forgiveness that you have. And may the Lord bless you, bless us, as we live in our world with courage. Amen.